Threats from without and threats from within. What is the greatest threat to the Christian church that seems to have crept in unnoticed and is turning people away from the one true God? The Good Fight Radio Show. Welcome back to the Good Fight Radio Show. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, we are going to be talking about what the greatest threat, the greatest danger to the Christian church that actually happens to already be in the church. And to discuss this very important, very important topic is none other than the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. Yeah, Chad, this is a pretty heavy subject matter because we're dealing with two incredible deceptions because we're both picking one, and we could have both been comfortable picking each other's because uh, we discussed this, and we're like both, man, these are two of the top deceptions. And one is been deceiving the church for years and years. Another one's building momentum, and it's a huge deception that will work in concert with this other deception. Uh, and you'll probably understand what we're talking about in a moment, but these are huge. and Every Christian should be aware of these because I would say— not thousands, but millions of professing mm. Christians have shipwrecked their faith on the rocks of damnation, uh, likely, because of these doctrines. No, I think that is beyond important for us to understand. And one of the reasons that both Joe and myself pick these two topics as the greatest threat is because both of them encompass more than one doctrine that is false. Both of them encompass things that no matter what spectrum you might on, would it, no matter what denomination or non-denominational church you may go to, these things might, either they're just being blatantly taught or they might have crept in unaware, as it says in Jude. And so, Joe, I'll start off with my topic uh, for this discussion, and that is what is known as the New Apostolic Reformation. But I don't want to simply umbrella that and just, it's too pigeonholed yeah. because— I, I, I want people to understand, and before I even get into it at all, is the end times ramifications, the, the reality of the book of Revelation playing before our hands and people. The same thing, Joe, that you've exposed for years. If you guys haven't seen uh, Marvel and DC's War on God, specifically the second part uh, that discusses Dr. Strange and, uh, and his connection to Aleister Crowley, but it also goes in depth on Scientology. You guys will be really surprised if you haven't seen that. We'll put a link in the description, but the the way that you had the document that you got and the way you talked about, whoa, this is pretty crazy that these new agers, these, you know, these uh, Scientologists, these, you know, these full cults really are saying, look, the book of Revelation is true, but we're on the Antichrist side. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, that's going, that's going crazy. Yeah. How could someone come to that? But the fact, Joe, that, that exact statement is actually in the church. Yeah, absolutely. And and sadly enough, the connections with the New Apostolic Reformation, people think, oh, the New Apostolic Reformation, maybe it's just, you know, Lance Wallnow, Johnny Enlow, maybe the Rick Joiners of the world, Shay On, uh, even Bill Johnson. And people say, look, these are the prophets, Mike Bickle of the New Apostolic Reformation. But what people aren't realizing as well is that so many people every Sunday are singing the songs. Yeah, they're yeah. worshiping alongside. And being indoctrinated by a lot of their doctrine. Being, and that's actually what Bill Johnson said he used, the music yeah, is used that's what for. He said, yeah. Openly, he yeah. said that. And let's get that model. And it's not American culture, it's revival culture. And let's take it somewhere and let's plant it. Let's plant it through Jesus culture. Let's plant it through the music we write. Let's plant it through the conferences that we do, the conferences that we bring in people for. 
And they think that you are actually coming underneath as their apostleship. Yep. And then when you're singing their songs, and their you're prophets. actually yeah. you're under their prophets. You're under their authority. Chris uh, Chris Valatin is one of their prophets and so forth. Like Bethel, yeah. uh, false prophets. I, I want to make sure we make that clear. Yeah, absolutely. And then you have popularizers uh, out there like Sean Foyt, who weren't during COVID. Man, it was just guys. I I would have to say when it came to what COVID was used for, was positively when I look at it from that perspective, it was used as a means of coalescing. Some very strange bedfellows when you understand, I mean, you got Jack Hibbs sharing Sean Foyt pictures and then taking them down, by the way, after being called out for it. But you have a situation where major teachers that would never fall in line with, uh, you know, post-millennialism, reconstructionism on the Calvinistic side or, um, you know, dominionist movements, kingdom now, you know, movements and all of these things. You, you would never expect them to be doing events together. You would never expect Shayon, one of the false prophets, the false apostles of the New Apostolic Reformation, saying at an event at Jack Hibbs' church, my good friend Jack Hibbs. I also want to thank Pastor Jack Hibbs. Uh, I love you. You're my hero. Thank you so much. Then you're like, wait, what's going yeah, on? exactly. You wouldn't have all these guys, you know, Sean Foyt and, and people and brothers and sisters in Christ that I know online, they were like, yeah, we need to stand up against the government. And when it comes to the gospel, yeah, we need to make sure we're preaching the gospel now. When when it comes to making sure that we're in fellowship and partaking of communion the best we can, uh, you know, what what are we what we have to do to make sure we're following the biblical guidelines, then we got to do that. Totally understand. But then saying, "Well, you know what? We're actually going to link arms with people like this and we're going to run headlong down this people don't realize what they've actually swallowed up with this." And when you're talking about guys, if we said, "Oh, they got word of faith stuff in them. They got prosperity gospel stuff in that. They got new age teaching in it. They got occultic teaching in it. They got all this stuff. And guess what? The even more conservative Bible believing Christians being like, yeah, but that's okay. At least they're standing up against the government. And you know what? They're just co-belligerents and, and all of that. And then Joe, and I don't want to get too deep because this is a lot of, we're going to be talking about in the documentary, the coalescing of some of this Christian nationalism, reconstructionism, uh, the reconstructionism, kingdom now, yeah. kingdom now, and you're like, you're seeing this before our very eyes, people that I never thought would be able to even sit in the same room, yeah. and now they're pushing the same doctrine, and guys, we have a ton of interviews uh, that we're putting together with a, a number of experts that have talked about this subject as well. Um, we have been talking about it for a while. We did an entire series on Bethel. We've done entire th- entire episodes on the new age and some of the mixes. So we want to let you guys know about that. I don't want to get too deep, but it is a warning. I know we're going to have to talk, uh, not today, but uh, in the future about post-millennialism and preterism and, and all of those doctrines and well, how it's, it's so important. Like this, man. It's, There's it's a spirit crazy. behind it. And uh, you guys are going to be blown away. A lot of you are aware to what's going on. So, and, you're, and I'm sure you appreciate it because you want people to know. So please pray uh, for the book we're working on and pray for the series. Uh, it's a like a huge spiritually demonic octopus which with its legs and tentacles embracing so much of the church. And uh, what we're looking at, what we're being exposed to is not what you're going to see in your typical book on the NAR movement. There's some really good, great books out on the NAR movement. We've already been interviewing some of the authors of, of what we believe are some of the best books. But even the books that we say, wow, those are really good. We're like, we have a totally, I'd say it, different emphasis, a different angle that we think is so, so needs to be exposed uh, in what we're working on. 
more of the eschatological aspect because a lot of the books don't really deal with eschatology so much. I even got, have one that actually has the word eschatology of the NAR movement. It has just a couple pages in the, on eschatology. You go, what happened? You know, so we're excited to get this out. So by, by reviewing these books, I'm like, okay, there's a glut of something that we believe should be a major emphasis in this movement. So we're excited to get it out to you. I was telling Chad when I was a young pastor, almost 35 years ago, one of the first series that I had done in the first year was a three-part series on kingdom dominionism. Way back, you were talking <laughs> a long time ago, over 30 years ago. And uh, it started to die just a little bit, but I thought, no, this is part of what is coming because it just fits the whole Antichrist system in the end because it's all about us establishing God's kingdom before Jesus Christ comes back and we're going to rule the world. Same deception that Jesus warned about uh, and re- the scriptures reveal us revealed to us when Satan offered the kingdom of this world to Jesus before it's time, you know? So there's a lot going on there, and we're excited about it. So it's definitely something we're looking forward to exposing. Amen. And this is something that, because, you know, Joe, you see it, you know, you we've talked about it for years now, that this really, when you start reading the authors, and, and I'm, I was so blessed, if you, if you guys— I, I want to encourage you, if you aren't on, on Sundays and Wednesdays, you don't have to watch it live, but if you can, you can always join us. But Blessed Hope Chapel, you can find find it on YouTube. We always try to put a link in the description. And Joe, you, you talked about this on a lengthy Sunday, and it's tough to find pastors that are speaking out against this to warn congregations because it, it is tough to talk about, and people don't—it it takes time for people to have a real understanding of why this yeah. matters, why this really matters. But Joe, another topic that— that I know is on your heart. And, you know, it's so funny because I think I text you and we were like, hey, we should do this. And, you know, I think you reminded me, hey, we're supposed to do um, threats to the church. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, that's, that's that episode. I'm, I'm excited for that because as a shepherd, Joe, I know, come on, you don't want sheep to be plucked away. And this topic, I think both of us, I think everyone here at the ministry probably said, hey, what topic do you think needs to be discussed? on dangers within the church. I think the one that you're going to talk about right now, I think this is number one. I think I believe very wholeheartedly <laughs> it's number one. Somebody wrote a book on this subject and we're talking about the idea that you can be in just, you can be a, you can be a believer in Christ, follow him. And then your love can grow cold as Jesus warned. Or you can become lukewarm as the scriptures say, or your heart can become hardened as the scriptures say. Those are warnings to believers, by the way. Uh, and you could, you know, you can become just a wicked rebel and don't worry, you're still going to heaven. Uh, the biggest lie in the church, and it's not even close. It's it, that causes the most destruction, uh, more than any other doctrine. In fact, I wrote a blurb. Uh, a, a gentleman wrote a book over, I think, 500 pages on this subject years ago, and he asked me if I could uh, write a comment on the book, and he actually put my comment on the back. And I basically said something to the effect that this doctrine of once saved, always saved, has actually damned more souls uh, within the church than probably all the other false doctrines put together. And that's because it's so readily, you know, lapped up. It sounds so good to the ears that I can be in rebellion to God and, and live according to my flesh and, and still inherit God's kingdom, even though it contradicts so many scriptures. But so many people are teaching this doctrine today. Uh, when you go down the road and you listen to a Christian radio, it comes up over and over again. And most of the teachers that are popular teachers on, on Christian radio are teaching, uh, once you're saved, you're always saved, no matter what happens to you in your faith, you know? Even some popular Calvinistic teachers who would preach against license and preach holiness will say things like, uh, like even John MacArthur, he, he says, there's nothing you could ever do that could cause you to be blotted out of the book of life. But God will never erase 
the name of His own out of the book of life. Well, what's that message saying? That means once you're in, you're in no matter what you do. Uh, yet at the same time, uh, it's become a very popular doctrine. And, and we have such a short amount of time in the show to cover two major uh, false teachings. But I'll say this is, uh, you know, from the get-go, just keep this in mind. And if you are if you're, have been taught once saved, always saved, and you've kind of inherited your doctrine from the church you were going to or the denomination you belong to and you tuned in, or you just say, hey, this is the idea that I have because of this scripture and that scripture. Well, the Bible says to rightfully divide the word of truth. We're supposed to compare a scripture with scripture, the Bible says. And we encourage you to do that because we love you. And we know that there are genuine Christians that believe once saved, always saved, and they're truly Christians. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's those who begin to live a wicked life as a result of that doctrine whose souls are in serious jeopardy. And that's the huge concern that we have. And then if you're a teacher and you're teaching people that they can do what thou wilt after you become to Christ, uh, you know, you can sin that grace may more abound. And well, then you're you're actually teaching something that's false. And then I'm wondering where you're at with God, you know? Uh, in fact, if you're teaching people they can live like hell and still inherit the kingdom of God, the scriptures warn about you. Uh, in the book of Jude, Jude says in verses three and four, he says concerning, he says, I was going to write about the common salvation, but he says, God put it on his heart, basically. I'm paraphrasing him. He says, uh, you know, that, you know, Jude, he calls himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ, a brother of James and so forth. And he talks about it as he read about our common salvation. But then he said he felt the necessity to warn them that there are certain men who have crept in unaware, or un, in the King James unaware, or unnoticed NASB, who are turning the grace of God God's grace, what Jesus did on the cross for our sins, into a license for immorality. And he says, for certain men have crept in and returned to the grace of God into a license of immorality, and they're denying the only master who bought them. Then he gives warnings like the angels. They were sons of God. And he says they were later destroyed. He talks about those in Egypt, how they were saved. He uses the sozo, the Greek word for salvation, out of Egypt. But later, those who didn't believe, he destroyed them. Jude gives warnings that, hey, don't fall for this deception, you know. Uh, and he warns about these teachers who don't have any fear of God, he says, you know. And this is a huge deception, Chad. So it's important because this is a very, that's uh, 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 so huge that literally millions of people believe it. And there are millions of people on the streets that no longer go to church. And you confront them, you talk to so many of these people, you ask what happened. And they say, oh, I'm still saved. I was taught once saved, always saved. I talked to a drunkard. I mean, he was full on drunk. I was witnessing to him street witnessing, and he was more he was more drunk than just about any place person I've ever run into while I was witnessing. And he had like Iron Maid or something blasted in his headphones. He's just all glossed over. He goes, I'm a son of a pastor. He said, nobody could pluck me out of God's hands. I took the scriptures where Jesus talked about the guy who, after he's become, a, he's a servant, but part of the little flock, you know? And then later he goes, because the drunkard, and he's drunk with the drunkards to beat the maidservants, that Jesus says that he'll be cut in pieces and put with the unbelievers. And man, he sobered up quick. First Corinthians 6, I shared with him as well. Verses 9 and 10, don't be deceived. Drunkards will not inherit God's kingdom. There's so many people who don't recognize, don't, or they ignore those verses, or they allow verses that, they're, that are twisted to reduce those other verses to ashes so they don't mean anything to them. They make the word of God of no effect to where they end up living a lie. And this is so important because Satan's original lie, Adam and Eve had eternal life. They had, they had the life of God. They, they would live forever. But guess what? What did Satan say? He taught them that, you know, once they had eternal life, they couldn't lose eternal life. So, so Satan said, thou shalt surely not die. That was his original lie. And Satan continues to twist scripture, half God said. And then even with Jesus, Chad, in Matthew chapter 4, he uses these three different deceptions in his effort to deceive the uh, deceive Jesus. 
And he takes Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple, tells him to jump. And he quotes a promise. This is what the enemy does with this doctrine. He quotes promises out of context. He quotes conditional promises like salvation. Salvation, the Bible tells us that you're just not automatically saved. We all know universalism, that everybody's going to be saved is a heresy, that you have to repent and put your faith in Christ. Okay, that there's a human responsibility, that you have to receive the free gift by faith. And it's interesting because uh, Satan has always used those deceptions. The Apostle Paul said, he warned that we, we die too, spiritually, believers. He said in Romans 8, 12, and 13, uh, you know, uh, he says, you know, brethren, we're not debtors to the flesh, live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if we through the Spirit, believers, brethren, he says, do mortify the deeds of the body, we shall live. And he says, as many as are led by are, are led by Spirit are the children of God. So he's talking about spiritual sonship there. So when Jesus, when Satan tried to deceive Jesus, he quoted a, he quoted a verse from Psalm 91. He says, Jesus, jump from the pinnacle of the temple. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to gather thee up. Thus they, you know, you hit your, your foot against the stone. Meaning, don't worry, Jesus. God promised that you wouldn't be destroyed. And then Jesus knew that it was a deception because yes, that promise was there. But he augmented that, and he put the condition in there. It says, to Satan is written, thou shalt not test the Lord thy God. So what we need to do as Christians, we need to recognize the promises. We need to realize the conditions that go with the promises. And that's why it's so important, because the early church warned over and over again, Chad, not to be deceived on this issue. In fact, look at the scriptures when you see in the New Testament where it says not to be deceived. It says not to be deceived on this issue regarding the security of the believer more than on any other one issue in the New Testament. In fact, in 1 John, John says, he talks about the difference between the, the children of the devil and the children of God are obvious. They're manifest. Those who practice sin, he says, are of the devil. He says, do not be deceived, brethren. James, he says, in verse 12 of chapter 1, he says, he says, blessed is the man who endures temptation or testing, parasmos in the Greek. For after he has persevered, he will receive the crown of life. It's about spiritual life. But then he goes on in the next verses, verses 13 through 16, to talk about those who go for a life of sin instead and how they will receive death. And then in verse 16, he says, Do my, don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. These are warnings to the brothers. The Apostle Paul, three different times. There's two times, 1 John chapter 3, James chapter 1. But the Apostle uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in Galatians 5 and 6, in Ephesians chapter 5, three different times gives these vice lists and warns genuine believers, not professing believers only, but those who have a relationship with God that they can forfeit their salvation and, and not to be deceived and think that they can live wicked lives. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, Paul says, Know ye not that ye, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Then he gives a list of fornicators and adulterers and drunkards and homosexuals and effeminate and so forth, extortioners. He says, don't be deceived. And who's he talking to? Verse 8, right before the warning I just gave, he says, to don't defraud your brethren. Then he goes on to talking about how we are temples of the Holy Spirit and don't take the temple of the Holy Spirit and join yourself with the prostitutes. He's not warning about non the non-believers. So don't don't leave a, leave a little thing. Well, he's only, those are the non-believers. No, he's warning believers. In Ephesians chapter five, Paul says, know for certain that those who practice these things, now the viceless will not inherit the kingdom of Christ. And he says again, let no one deceive you with vain words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. And he says, you are light in the Lord. He's talking about those who are light. Not That's not to non-believers. And then Chad, in Galatians chapter 5, he says, walk in the Spirit in verse 16 of chapter 5, and, uh, and you will not fulfill the desires of flesh. He's not talking to non-believers, telling them to walk in the Spirit. He's talking to Christians. Right before that, in verse 1, he says, stand fast in the freedom with Christ to set you free. And don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. And he warns against uh, trying to keep the law to be right with God. He says, no, 
we're saved by faith. But the condition is not we have to be good enough to enter God's kingdom. The condition is we have to trust Jesus. That's the condition to be saved. Repent and trust. Are you continuing to trust Jesus? And faith without works is dead. So the works will be evidence of that, right? But this is what Paul goes on to say. He says, Chad, walk in the spirit so you not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And then he goes on to give a, a vice list of uh, verses 19, 20, 21, of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Almost two dozen, you know, he mentions over a dozen wicked works of the flesh like witchcraft and, and, and so forth. And then he says this, he says, uh, you know, I, I forewarn you, even as I warned you for, before, that those who practice these things, they're not saying if you fell and you, you came back to Jesus and said, God, have mercy on me, you got right with God. About those who are in rebellion to God, who aren't staying under the blood, who aren't seeking the seeking Jesus through faith and are doing their own thing, okay? He says, I forewarn you, even as I warned you before, that those who practice these things will not inherit God's kingdom. Then he says in verses seven and eight of chapter six, he says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. He that sows the flesh will from the flesh reap destruction. But he that sows the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And we shall reap if we continue. We have to continue in the faith, brothers and sisters. So I'm going to give a few quotes, Chad. And I want your responses to these quotes. And these are quotes from, uh, this kind of gives you a little bit of a history. Because we've only got about five minutes left or so. But I want to give you some context and encapsulate this doctrine within five minutes of church history if we can do so. So we have the early warnings in the first century, right, Chad? And then we have uh, the Gnostics, who were the only ones teaching once saved, always saved. They were the greatest opponents to the early church, and they were teaching once saved, always saved. In fact, one of the church fathers, Irenaeus, who was their greatest opponent in the early church, he talked about how they have a doctrine where, you know, they could take women in adultery and they're still saved no matter what they do. And Origen said they teach because their view of predestination was unconditional. The Bible teaches conditional election. It's based on faith and God for, based on God's foreknowledge. He knows how people are going to respond. And Origen said uh, that the Gnostics teach that people are lost in such a way that they can't be saved. And they're saved in such a way that they can't be lost. That was like a novel teaching. And the early church rejected it as heretical. And even Augustine, who was the, you know, the forerunner of Calvin, he ends up teaching uh, that certain elect people are, are saved no matter what. But he still taught that all those who are regenerated, saved, yes, in his opinion, it's false teaching, they could fall away because they're not elect. But he still retained the teachings of the warnings up until Calvin in the 1500s. And by the way, before Calvin, now I think this is, this is heavy, before John Calvin, Luther saw this coming. He's the father of the Protestant Reformation, emphasizing that we're saved by grace through faith. But he saw, even amongst the people that understand they're saved by grace, that Satan was using that by grace through faith to stir up a doctrine that of basically do what thou wilt in the church. And Luther, Martin Luther said this, this evil is common and the most pernicious that Satan stirs up in the doctrine of faith, namely that in a very many he turns this liberty wherewith Christ has made us free into a liberty of the flesh, all boast of Christian liberty, and yet serving their own lust, they give themselves over to covetousness, pride, envy, and such other vices. He says, they therefore turn the liberty into the spirit of wantonness and use their bodies and their goods after their own lust, and they have lost Christ. He says, they've lost Christ and Christian liberty and have become the bond slaves of the devil. For the devil which has dri was driven out of them is returned with seven fiends worse than himself. Therefore, the end of these men is worse than the beginning. Well, guess what? Not long after Luther, Calvin codified this Gnostic doctrine that once you're saved, you're always saved no matter what. And it's just amazing to me, Chad, because John Wesley had come on the scene. I've got quotes from all these different guys, and I'm going to use a couple of them. John Wesley came on the scene and he found that Calvinism had basically been worked in like a poison in, 
in England and throughout, you know, what became the you know entire British Empire and through the Americas. And he just this frozen chosen mentality. I'm saved no more. I have no choice in my salvation. And and Luther, when I say this is the biggest deception in the church, Martin Luther says, right here, it's the most pernicious doctrine that Satan stirs up among the faith. And John Wesley, when he was asked what the most was the antidote to unrighteousness and wickedness in the church, he said, quote, on Calvinism, he says, all the, of all the devices of Satan for these 50 years have done far less towards stopping this work of God than this single doctrine. It strikes at the root of salvation from sin, previous to glory, putting the matter on quite another issue. Question, but wherein lies the charm of this doctrine? What makes men swallow it so greedily? He answers, it seems to magnify Christ. It seems to magnify Christ, although it supposes him to have died in vain, for the absolutely elect must have been saved without him, and the non-elect cannot be saved by him. It's almost like he's quoting what Origen was quoting of the Gnostics earlier. And what's amazing, Chad, we have a great, great soundbite we want to play for you guys. We We interviewed, Chad and I, the foremost expert on, one of the foremost experts on, on Augustinianism and Augustine and Calvinism. He wrote a book on it, and uh, we'll have that up for you, and, and you can check it out if you want to get that book. It's pretty pretty amazing. In fact, Chad just bought a few of them to hand out to a few people. And we asked him about church history and this idea of once saved, always saved. And this is a this is a guy who went to Dallas Theological Seminary, right, as a professor, uh, as a professor now. And, and it's interesting. Listen to what he says about where this doctrine came from or, or whether it was in the early church or not. So the, the bottom line is that the early Christians all the way up through 400 were battling Stoicism, Gnosticism, and Neoplatonism. And all three of these views are highly deterministic. That means they believe that God ordains every particular event in the universe, good or evil. Nothing could be better than it is because the micromanaging God has it all under control. And the Christians absolutely refuted that view, one after another, 100% of them that wrote on it, because it's a non-relational God. The Stoics, Gnostics, and Manichaeans had a non-relational God. And the Christians were saying, wait a minute, our God is a relational God. He doesn't just arbitrarily assign people to heaven or hell. He actually loves everybody, wants everybody to come to him, and he only does that based on foreknowledge of what they're going to do. Uh, and that, I'm not the only one saying that. I mean, you look at anyone who's not a Calvinist, and they will say, yes, that's exactly what happened. Now, this is what's crazy. Even many of our Calvinistic brethren understand that this is a deception. In fact, many Calvinists say, hey, Joe, I'm a Calvinist, but if somebody's living a wicked life and living according to the flesh— you know, I don't believe they're saved. And I say, praise God, amen, they need to be warned. We would believe that they maybe weren't saved or possibly like the prodigal son, they fell away, okay? Because we still have a distinction of difference. But many Calvinists will warn against this doctrine as well. In fact, one of the most famous Calvinists ever named Arthur Pink, he wrote a book called Eternal Security. And look what he says here. Thousands have been lulled into the fatal sleep by the soothing lullaby of once saved, always saved. To imagine that I can commit my soul in its eternal interest into the hands of the Lord. And henceforth, it relieves me of all obligation uh, is to accept the sugar-coated poison from the father of lies. Even Spurgeon said, quote, we detest the doctrine that a man who has once believed in Jesus will be saved, even if he altogether forsook the path of obedience. And Calvinistic, uh, another Calvinistic leader, uh, theologian, John Armstrong, 
he was asked about what was the most dangerous doctrine in the church. He says, quote, I was asked the question about a year ago by a group of pastors in Pennsylvania. What do you think is the one doctrine that is the most destructive in the life of the church? He says, today, and I said, the doctrine of eternal security. This idea that you're secure no matter what you do, whether you trample into foot the blood of Christ or not, you're still fine. No, brothers and sisters, we have to walk with Jesus. And there are millions of professing believers who are no longer doing so because they've been given this poison. Amen. God bless you guys. You've been listening to The Good Fight Radio Show with pastor and author Joe Schimmel and host Chad Davidson discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how they relate to family, culture, and the church. To learn more about Good Fight Ministries, visit us online at goodfight.org. Join our growing social media family and consider partnering with us at patreon.com slash goodfight.